Well, good Friday morning, and thank you so much for joining us, making our way through another work week, and just on the doorstep of a nice weekend, weather-wise. Temperatures uh, cooperating still and uh, above seasonable temperatures heading through the weekend. Maybe a little bit of moisture in the last part of it for a big chunk of the province, which is welcomed. Definitely need that. Just had a good conversation with the Minister of Education, Jeremy Cockrell. If you missed that, don't forget, you can always go back on the website or wherever you get your podcasts and re-listen to different segments of the show. Um, Gave the uh, perspective of the government when it comes to where things are at with bargaining. Of course, we had heard er earlier this week from Samantha Beacott on Wednesday, the STF president, and uh, no word on the next day of strikes. They had the first day of rotating strikes yesterday with the teachers. I'm going to guess we will hear something more next week. Well, last week we talked a lot about the Emergencies Act, the fact that the federal government made a ruling that the use of the Emergencies Act when it came to ending the truckers' convoy was unconstitutional, which was a little different than that report that was commissioned by Justice Paul Rollo. In April of 2022, we got the results of that in February of 23, where he said that Government met the high threshold. So two different justices saying different things, looking at it through a bit of a different lens. There's no doubt about it and and being presented with different pieces of information. We talked about that a fair bit. In fact, last week, as you'll remember, we had one of our, our local professors, a law professor from the University of Saskatchewan who focuses on constitutional law. Dwight Newman joined us and talked about the impact that could have on the next time that the Emergency Act is used. I wanted to talk about this from from another angle as well. And Associate Professor of Criminology Michael Kempa from the University of Ottawa is a fellow who I've actually had the opportunity to work with before in my prior life with the police. I saw a column that he wrote in the National Post that I thought, you know what, let's give Michael a call and see if he'll join us on the show. And he's gracious enough to do that. Michael Kempa, criminologist, takes takes our call this morning. Thanks for being here, Michael. Okay, thanks, Evan. Good morning. So I read your column in the National Post, the title of it, Federal Court Changed My Mind, The Feds Were Wrong on Emergency Powers. What did you mean by that? It really comes down to the fact that these famous thresholds in both the Emergencies Act and the CSIS Act are the same. Um, There is a long, decade-long debate about whether or not the federal government should have to read the thresholds in exactly the same way as CSIS. When I looked at the historical record, it didn't seem to me like that was the best idea. But, in fact, the judge in this federal court case, Mosley, has convinced me that that is the right way to read the Emergencies Act. So from from that, do you think, I, I will get into, you know, kind of how it was, you had a front row seat for everything that unfolded, of course, in Ottawa. But before we get into that, thoughts on the significance of this federal court ruling based on how it might be applied in the future. Do you think that this, which was really the first test of the Act since it became law in 88, do you think this sets a different threshold, a different standard, a different procedure for the next time, if ever, the Act is used? The threshold is different, and more importantly, the procedure is different. Mm -hmm. What what went wrong this time, and and both Rulo and Mosley were basically complete agreement about this, was we were caught by surprise by a protest that turned out to be far larger and taking place in more locations than we had anticipated. We were a little bit out of practice at every level of government, um, policing, 
uh, and civil society, really, for dealing with such massive protests. And therefore, things spiraled out of control, particularly on the ground here in Ottawa, um, where there was a reluctance, understandable on the part of the police, to enforce laws around inciting hatred against identifiable groups, criminal mischief or preventing property from being used for its intended purposes, especially essential purposes like medical treatment and so forth. And that inability to enforce the law because the police didn't want things to spiral out of control led to a protest that just couldn't be managed and, and went on for too long. So Rulo and Mosley agreed with that. Where they differed was that Mosley says just because people weren't doing what they were supposed to do at the ground level, so if things were breaking down in Ottawa, the province is ultimately responsible for the city governance of Ottawa and for its police. They should have stepped up a little earlier with uh, support, uh, both in terms of legislative action with the emergencies uh, legislation in the province and providing police assistance, working with the OPP, overseeing the whole thing. They didn't do that, which does not justify the federal government in invoking the Emergencies Act because powers that were on the books were simply not being used. Mm -hmm. So what that means for procedure for next time is that there has to be some mechanism for if provinces aren't doing what they're meant to be doing for the federal government to either compel them into action um, or uh, directly get things going at that level without the Emergencies Act. Not all of this requires legislation. Simply calling a premier out as prime ministers have done through history, especially Pierre Elliott Trudeau, Brian Mulroney, Jean Chrétien, they did this all the time. They just called premiers out and said, hey, this is your responsibility. That's where we'll need to go next time. And that's tough for prime ministers to do. It takes a big spine. Associate Professor of Criminology Michael Kempa from the University of Ottawa. So a couple of things out of your answer you just gave that I want to explore. The first one is this. In your article in the National Post, you talk about, while respecting charter rights to peaceful assembly and free expression, cities and their police must enforce laws prohibiting the incitement of hatred against identifiable groups. You just talked about that. Counseling terrorism and other crimes. So, you know, what What I saw here, and this happened in, in the city of Regina. I was chief of police at the time. We saw a much smaller scale convoy. It happened, I would say, within about 24 hours, we were able to... to uh, effectively dissemble the convoy you had a bunch of people gathering for a common purpose with the intent of being peaceful law-abiding all of those things and then you had people flying swastika flags and all of these other things that that i think as can happen in a protest shed a bad light on the entire protest how how does it how do you think that needs to be addressed by going in and kind of picking off these fringe players and allowing the the peaceful protest to remain is that kind of where you're headed oh absolutely and one of the points that came out of the rulo commission and other places is that where that kind of picking off of people who are breaking the law doesn't happen early it tends to gather momentum and attract more and more people who have those bad intentions to a protest where they see that there's opportunity for their hate language and trying to recruit people into their fringe movements and so forth. So that's how it spirals out of control. Now, we're, we're getting better at it already. First of all, we've seen in the context of the mass protests around Israel-Palestine competing movements here, where, particularly in Toronto, where the protests have been largest, there have been charges laid for people who are uttering death threats, who are 
promoting hatred against either identifiable group, um, enforcing rules around critical infrastructure and public safety, such as you cannot protest on certain highway overpasses in people's neighborhoods and so forth. These are essentially good things. And it's not about cracking down on protest. It's about the police. Their role, of course, is to return protest to its legal status, which enables protest to go on and people who are there to make legal, even if offensive, democratic points to carry on with their protest. Yeah. Associate Professor of Criminology, Michael Kemp, I very much appreciate all of your views on this. Just a couple of more things. So another thing that you talked about was kind of that that threshold when at some point the province or in some cases the federal government might have to step in. And and I've dealt with that again in a prior life uh, as chief of police. We had a major protest in the city of Regina right in front of the legislature building. Um, and it was essentially a, a social services protest. There were lots of teepees that went up, uh, but it was on a piece of lawn. Basically, it wasn't on the road. It wasn't inhibiting public traffic flow or anything like that. And there was heavy pressure, political pressure, to basically for the police to come in and pull this protest down. I was, as chief of police, saying, we're not doing it. We don't feel like there's a threat to public safety. They have this lawful ability. And, you know, we were getting things thrown at us like, you know, there's a bylaw that says you can't camp in the park overnight. And they're, they they were there for 200 days. Where where do you start to threaten independence of police action when a provincial government or a federal government steps in and takes control of a situation? Can you talk about that balance and and specifically how it pertained to Ottawa? So this is a 50-year problem, and the easy answer to it is that no agency, external agency, whether civilian oversight or elected official, ever directs the police on the exercise of their powers of investigation, arrest, and laying charges. Now, they can make suggestions. They could say, why are we not clearing this protest out? We would like you to do it. But they simply cannot direct the police as a matter of law that you will clear this protest out tomorrow. Now, if the police are saying, we do see significant illegal activity and we would like to enforce, but we are overwhelmed, we are working with whoever, with the province or the federal government, and we would like the resources, that's when the province and the feds, when I say step in, I basically mean to support police operational planning. In uh, your discussions on this topic, articles I've seen, you talk about the, the term in the Emergencies Act, violence for a political purpose did not include economic harms, which which is, if it was in there, maybe we would see a different decision. Do you expect to see any sort of, you know, I, I would say amendments to the legislation pending the outcome of this appeal? Yes. Uh, that, to me, the best outcome, irregardless of what the Supreme Court and the Federal Court of Appeal may eventually decide, is we redraft our emergencies legislation to make it better. I mean, that was the message of every expert consulted by the Public Order Emergencies Commission, not to make it easier for the federal government to invoke emergency powers, but to make it less ambiguous and clear as to whether or not it's legal to do so. EA is a little bit, Emergencies Act is a little bit ambiguous in that way, but also to set better constraints for when it is invoked, how they, they what powers they can specifically mobilize or more, are more tightly controlled. So it's not just a binary. You flip on the EA and that's either good or bad. 
Once they flip it on, they then decide what powers they're going to slide into what's essentially an empty folder of the Emergencies Act to enforce. So that's where we got our no-go zones, freezing bank accounts, and so forth. And they went way too far, particularly on the issue of bank accounts. So what we're all interested in seeing is improve the definitions in the Emergencies Act and actually make it a little harder, even once you've invoked it, to just slide whatever powers you might like into the folder. Michael Kemp, my guest, a criminologist at the University of Ottawa. We've only got a short time left, Michael. A couple of quick things. Number one, we are watching closely, uh, I I would say Canada is, but certainly in Saskatchewan, the uh, trial that's going on for Tamara Leach and Chris Barber. Chris Barber from Saskatchewan. Tamara Leach was at one time from Saskatchewan as well, both charged with mischief, obstruct police, and counsel to commit other offenses. Recently, the Superior Court of Justice ordered a retrial for Alan Remley, the convoy participant who had been acquitted on a mischief charge. How do you see all of these court cases playing out on the Tamara Leach and Chris Barber trial? It adds up to the fact that the courts have broadened and clarified what counts as criminal mischief, which is possibly bad news for Tamara Leach and Chris Barber. The metaphor to understand it is, let's say you've got a group of people that are linking arms and blocking a roadway. Who is engaging in mischief? Is it only the people who are in the middle of the roadway, or is it people who are in the chain but are way off in the grass somewhere? This appeal has made it clear that if you're part of the chain anywhere, you are as guilty of mischief as those who are in the middle of the road. You're not an innocent bystander if you're part of the, of the chain. So if you're contributing in any way to the mischief on the ground, you can be guilty of mischief, and that might include things like fundraising, if we've determined that mischief has occurred partially as a result of your fundraising. It'll be interesting to watch this play out. All right, we've only got 30 seconds left, but I wanted to give a plug to the fact you've got a book coming out on this Freedom Convoy. When is it coming out? And just a quick thumbnail sketch of what we can see here in the in the book. So it'll be, it'll be coming out late this year. And the thrust is, how did the state respond to the Freedom Convoy movement? And how has the Freedom Convoy movement begun to shift? It's become very much, uh, it's refragmented into its many pieces, on focused on issues way beyond vaccine mandates, into gender issues in schools, into broader issues of government overreach, into fiscal policy and so forth. How prepared are we as a state to handle a generation of mass protests that is coming our way? And the answer is, we're not very prepared at all, but there are some encouraging signs. Well, Michael, I hope to have you on the show again, maybe closer to when your book is released. We look forward to uh, to seeing and reading that. Michael Kempa, thanks again for your time this morning. Thank you kindly. Associate Professor, uh, Professor of Criminology Michael Kempa from the University of Ottawa. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Well, good morning. I'm Evan Bray. Just had a good conversation with Michael Kempa, criminologist from the University of Ottawa. His thoughts on the use of the Emergencies Act, and I think, moreover, the fact that it was ruled to be unconstitutional. His book, which is coming out in August, called The Freedom Convoy, is going to be a great deep dive into the Freedom Convoy and and how the country responded to it. But as you heard him talk about, it's deeper than that. It really is talking about how our country is divided on issues and how prepared we are to deal with these divisive issues that could see protests, could see challenge to legislation. I think it's going to be a good read. Um, 
Again, that's coming up later this year. Well, as you know, we this week heard the recommendations from the James Smith Cree Nation inquest that happened over the last three weeks in Melford. Our own Lisa Schick, senior reporter, was there and did a great job of, of covering that. We talked yesterday about the recommendations, and we were going to do a bit of a deeper dive on Monday as well. Yesterday at 2 o'clock, the FSIN held a news conference, and they were joined by the Assembly of First Nations National Chief, Cindy Woodhouse, and they talked about change that they see that needs to happen, but a lot of their focus was on Indigenous policing. James Smith Cree Nation Chief Wally Burns was there as well and talking about how they can move forward. Police response, after responding to the calls, actually getting to James Smith Cree Nation, I would say is less criticized than how long it took them to get. And it's just because they are not right there. The no, the closest RCMP detachment is a drive away to James Smith Cree Nation and even further to a hospital when you're trying to get care for people that were injured in a tragic incident like that. And so a lot of the conversation and communication that we're hearing from AFN and even FSIN is about this, this ability to have sustainable funding, sustainable financial commitment for Indigenous policing. That doesn't exist right now. AFN President Woodhouse said that she will be advocating with the Prime Minister for $3.6 billion in the next federal budget, which is coming up at the end of March, saying we cannot be left out when it comes to community safety. On Monday, I've got Clive Wayhill, the Chief Coroner, for the province of Saskatchewan, who, of course, was very instrumental. It was his idea to have this discretionary inquest in the first place. I want to talk to him a little bit about his thoughts on how it went. It sounds like there was a lot of great healing that happened as a result of it. Maybe there was a couple of things that, if he could do it again, he would do different. We'll talk a bit about that, as well as the recommendations. And we put a request into FSIN. I think it's. it sounds like it's going to be either Vice Chief David Pratt or Vice Chief Dutch LaRaw will join us on the Roundtable of Justice on Monday, and we will dig into the recommendations from their vantage point in terms of what needs to be done and where we go next. So that'll be coming up on Monday, right here on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.